I'm really glad that I left that in. Yeah, me too. Mark's going to be pissed. He's going to be, dude, if Mark Marin ever hears our podcast, he's going to be so pissed. What up? Uh, wait, what's our what up? Heat seeking panthers, heat seeking panthees, heat seeking panthers, heat seeking pantaloons, heat seeking pontificators, and heat seeking what the fuckers. This is heat seeking panther episode number 10. Uh, vampires kiss. Uh, I'm your host, Dave, and here's your co host, Miles. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I lost my voice, so it's a little... If I sound like I did, that's why. Yeah, okay. Because I did. Uh, cool. Uh, I guess we can go right into it. Uh, we have a guest. We have, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Elisa. <laughs> I'm the guest. <laughs> Efficient. Efficient and straight to the point. I appreciate it. Elisa, you're, you're in the film world, right? Yes, I guess you could say that. Mover and shaker. Yes, let's not go that far. I'm not that fancy, but I'm, I'm in it. I like to think I'm important. Maybe you, you like nudge things and jiggle them. And you're a fan of Nicolas Cage. Yes. Fair to say. Fair to say, yes. Um, ha- had you seen this movie before? Uh, not before this week, no. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, what, what was your general impression of it? Uh well, it was kind of a mind fuck. Uh, it was just, I don't know, it was kind of interesting at first. I didn't really know what to expect. And then I felt like I was watching like some sort of weird parody of American Psycho, but before American Psycho came out. So it was just kind of odd, like watching Nicolas Cage as this character. Yeah, yeah. As if he was mocking this movie that actually came later. Yeah. It is, I've never thought about that. It is like American Psycho. It, it, it definitely is, is. It's kind of almost a, like a parallel storyline of American Psycho. What? Except instead of murdering people, he thinks he's a vampire. Although yeah. I guess he, he does. He murders. Yeah, you're right. He does. He does murder someone. So reading, I was reading like contemporary reviews of this movie and people were saying that like Nick Cage is over the top, which is obviously true. But they were also saying that like describing this movie as like disturbing or like maybe like it went like, like why wasn't it a box office? Oh, spoiler. It's, it was not a box office success. I I can't imagine why. I know. Guess how much it made. Like $2 million? Lower. No, really? Like, like, wait, not even a million? Not a million. What? Lower. Lower Half a million. 60,000. Or 600,000, sorry. 600,000. Oh my God, that's yeah. it? Yeah. That's, well, what, what was the budget? Do you know? No, I don't know. I didn't well, look it, it has, I feel like Nicolas Cage was like already kind of starting to be in his prime at yeah, this point. He, was in, he worked with the Coen brothers and Cher. Oh, that's right. Moonstruck. Yeah. Oh, I love Moonstruck. But yeah, yeah no, every, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like they probably spent a good amount of money just to like get him just, there. Yeah. I... Um, this, this is incidentally the first movie he receives top billing in his career. No way. Yeah. What? Yeah. He's, he, he had, I mean, it literally says Nicolas Cage in <laughs> Vampire's Kiss. And he was always like second fiddle to like right. Cher Holly or, uh, yeah, Holly Hunter or um, uh, Kathleen, yeah. Kathleen Turner. Uh, I want, yeah, Mickey Rooney. Uh, um, everybody told him not to do this movie as well. This was, uh, the, his agent and friends and family and everyone, no one wanted him to do it, but, and apparently he was even talked out of doing it once by, I think by his agent, but he just kept coming back to the script because he felt that he could really bring something to this, this, he had to be this role. And, uh, I think that shows, I think he's a man possessed. Yeah, no, I don't think I could imagine anyone else in this role. Like, yeah, he was so he he left an impression. Just more so on me than American Psycho. 
Better film? <laughs> I mean, people will fight you about that, but <laughs> that's your opinion. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this movie is kind of like the perfect role for Nick Cage because it is essentially gives him... It, it's it's a weak it's weak material it's weak directing and it's essentially the only reason it's interesting to anyone you know 30 years later or whatever is because Nicolas Cage is in it and right. uh, and because of his performance in yeah. it so I think that it kind of like it gave him like you know carte blanche to just like go off the fucking deep end as much as he wanted which is just really the only like that's his mo in every movie he does right yeah, and I think that's what he saw in the script that kept pulling him back was that he could do whatever he wanted, which, yeah, it, it, he really was, like, kicking against, like, I guess, like, in talking about, like, the classic Nicolas Cage roles, it was, like, he, he said that this is, like, he wanted to, this was, like, punk rock to him, and, like, fair enough. Again, like, if as punk rock as, like, Peggy Sue Got Married, where you're taking a, a role that a bunch of people have a, a movie that a bunch of people have a stake in and be like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want and I don't care. And, uh, who's going to stop me? Literally no one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. Like also watching the movie, like I didn't quite understand like what, what it was about. Like I understood like, because I had seen the trailer like a few weeks ago and that's what kind of brought me to this movie. And then I also realized because my cell phone case has Nicolas Cage that this is the face. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Nicolas Cage as the Mona Lisa. Yes. Shout out to my sister for getting that for me. Yeah. That's side note. That's how, uh, that's how Lisa and I had the conversation about her coming on the podcast yeah. as I saw that phone case and I was like, I have a Nicolas Cage podcast. Uh, you should, <laughs> you should come on. This is the perfect episode to, to jump on board to. Uh, oh yeah. It was, I don't know. It was like I said, it was weird because like seeing this movie and trying to follow along and being like, I don't understand what this is about, but I get the fact that he thinks he's a vampire and it makes sense why he thinks he's a vampire. But then anything else that is around that main, like, core thing wait does doesn't it make any sense does it make sense why he thinks he's a vampire well i think so just like after he meets that woman and stuff and he's just weird and he thinks these things but like i feel like he had some evidence to make him believe that just based off of whatever so did he actually meet jennifer beals like did that yeah. happen yeah because yeah. remember he later on after he after he kills the other woman right. in, the, in the back room of the club he runs into her again on the dance floor right and she, and she doesn't know who he is because presumably either they never went home together and he imagined it or they did and she just like forgot who who he was well i figured it was just a one night stand that right. he just like made more like he yeah yeah do, do, do they like put a fine point on it we don't even know like no we have so no it's, idea it's hard to know i mean i the the whole reveal of how i mean spoilers the whole reveal of how much of this movie is in his head at the end or at least all the therapist scenes you know it really colors everything for me because like i whoops <laughs> excuse me while i knock your lock house the down. door lock <laughs> um because it's so heightened. Everything is so high. Like if you wanted to, you could really just say that the, the only thing that's potentially real about this or that takes place in our reality is him as a raving lunatic on the street. Like, was he ever a fucking successful yuppie at a, uh, what is it? A literary agency? Like, or, and who, who like fell from grace or is he just like some lunatic on the street? Well, I don't know, but also, I guess, like, the way the sets were, too, where it was just, like, this literary agency where he's supposed to be, be making how much money, but he's got this, like, studio apartment. Right. And for, like, yuppies at that time, like, they had so much more. So I think it was kind of one of, it was, like, these weird subtle hints that none of us just, like, picked up on until we see him as a raving lunatic. Well, and the office building that he works in is really strange. There's so much wood... But see, I chalk that up to just it, it being a low budget film. Yeah, well, I know. You know, like 
I don't think that that was necessarily meant to like imply anything to the audience. I think they just like literally they couldn't afford a better apartment or a better office to shoot it. Like, I mean, I, I do too, but I realized watching it this, the fourth time, <laughs> which is, which is four too many times to see this movie. <laughs> I, yeah. This might just be uh, like an overdose on the movie talking that I'm just reading too much into it. But like, I realize that yes, it can be a low budget movie that doesn't make sense because it's poorly edited or whatever, you know, or the script is not that good or it doesn't make sense because it's brilliant. And though it's just, it just is a vehicle for Nick Cage to be this character and us to just be in his reality for an hour and a half. Yeah, I could see that. Well, yeah, probably totally low, like you yeah. didn't have the budget for something fancier, but still it was just something about, the, the sets that the they choices, the yeah, choices, yeah, like the choices that they, that they made, because it just a part of me again. I could just be giving this movie a way deeper meaning, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it was like that. It didn't for what we were expected to believe. It didn't make much sense with the settings that they put them in. Like it's not. Uh, it, uh, what do I want to say? It doesn't feel like the those things don't feel like on accident. And there are things that really work in this movie that like, I like, okay. Every time I, they go to a club, I really want to be in that club. And, um, this is sorry to interrupt, but, but this is something I've noticed with many, many, many movies that I've watched that, that, that are from not just take place in the eighties, but specifically are from the eighties about the eighties. Man, all of the club scenes in the '80s are just cracking. So good. Like, there's they look oh, like they were having so time. much fun, dude. It was just like cocaine and disco music, yeah. like nonstop. Yeah. What happened to those clubs? Did they ever exist? <laughs> like that one that he goes in at the end and like bites that girl. Like, is that? So clearly, they blew their whole budget on just the club <laughs> scenes. Yeah, there were a lot of extras in those scenes. Yeah, there, there were so many people. But then they could have just like shown up at the club and just been like, hey, guys, want to be in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they spent all their money on that bat. <laughs> really? Do you, do you honestly think they spent more than a dollar on that bat? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It, it literally looks like, I mean, it was, it's like the stereotypical like dude holding a bat on a string. <laughs> it, it hovers at him. <laughs> And well, during that scene too, they have the they have like the bat's eye view camera angle where it's like coming, where it's like zooming in and out of Nicholas like like where he's trying to swat at it, and the camera's just zooming like in and out. Uh, so the the main reason that people uh, remember this movie or the, the most notoriety that this movie got for I think most of its life. Now I think that people like us are uh, talking about Nicolas Cage so much. It's uh, people talk about his performance more, but like the, the big thing that everyone mentioned was him eating a live cockroach, um, which was his choice. Need I say, um, and uh, I, I want to read a little piece from uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind captain Corelli. One of three books that Dave purchased <laughs> off Amazon. Yeah. About Nicolas Cage. Uh, the other ones being Uncaged and Hollywood's Wild Talent. We're, Elisa, you can tell we're dead serious about this. Yeah. I'm loving <laughs> <Worth> it. <laughs> are, are, we, are we scholars yet? Do we ever. I, 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 we've asked this question before and. Um, I don't think we've said yes, but we haven't said no. Okay. Well, I feel like you're the jury's there. still you out. Have yeah, definitely. Three books now, and yeah. By the time I, I finish all of these books, I bought this notebook before we started this podcast specifically for notes on Nicholas Cage, Cage, and it's now more than halfway full. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like leather bound. I know. It's way oh, too it's, nice for the for the kind of info that I'm writing in it. It's <laughs> like. I mean, I really should be like questioning some of my decisions to that. I'm paying money for this to be on SoundCloud, like, and literally nobody listens to it. That's not true. Really? No, I've had, I've had a couple of my friends. I mean, oh, I if, listen to it. 
if I was only going on like people that told me that they're listening to it, we'd be at like 11 listeners, no shit. 11 or 12 listeners. But I don't know how many people aren't telling me that they're listening to That's it. True. So maybe I, it's closer to like 15 or 20. I've had multiple friends just tell me that they don't like Nicolas Cage. And I that, was like, that is not what should stop you. But that's exactly the reason you should listen. Yeah. I think that this podcast is more beneficial for people that don't like Nicolas Cage than yeah. people that are already sold on Nicolas Cage. Yeah, exactly. Because they can just watch the movie and make their own stupid comments. But um, people who, who don't, who the idea of finding any merit in a movie like Vampire's Kiss, like, I don't know. I feel like I want, I, I've recommended this to so many people who so, said that they don't like Nicolas Cage. I'm like, if you can't watch this and appreciate it as like some sort of Dadaistic like piece of bizarre cultural art, like then you and I have less in common than I thought. So this podcast is essentially just a way for us to weed out the people who are really our friends. <laughs> is like yeah. is essentially what you're saying. Like, yeah, just is me by this one insane rubric. <laughs> I've I've definitely all just my snarkiest friends. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely also turned down like opportunities with people because I'm like uh, I I gotta watch this movie before I record <laughs> no. this podcast tomorrow. No, so like I think I'm just gonna stay home tonight. <laughs> yep, it's definitely having an adverse effect on my social life. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, you don't think you're a vampire yet, so not uh, yet. Yeah, but I mean, you never know. The night is still young. That's true. I, I still have a couple cockroaches to eat before I decide that I'm a vampire. So or, <laughs> you're, you're or like, shitty shitty plastic teeth to buy before I decide that I'm a vampire. Do you need us to get up <laughs> so you can turn your couch upside down? Yes. <laughs> I love that touch, by the way. Yeah, I th- I think that's brilliant. That and him. Coffin. That and him carrying that and him keeping the stake. Even, oh, even in the, even in the, in the hallucination. therapist hallucination, because oh, yeah. everything about him physically is different when it switches to the therapist hallucination, right. as opposed to him on the street, except that right. he's still holding the stake. Yeah. And for some reason that was like, that was a nice cherry on top. That's yeah. That's I don't cool. know what it meant about that or if it was saying anything important, but I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. But I love, okay. I love this character of Peter Lowe and one of the big reasons that I love him is that last um, sequence where you know that it's fantasy at this point and it just goes over the top with what it, like that girl comes out and she's like, I like Vivaldi and walks on the beach and he's like, Ooh, so do I. I and like, you, you just like this, he, this character who he has, he affects that weird voice, which by the way, like um, Nick Cage well, he obviously made that choice, but he made it uh, because he wanted this guy to just be all affectation, that he wanted to be this cultured, young, like, you know, uh, it, guy who that, that's just all Peter wants to be seen as, who's in control. And, uh, but in fact, he's like a total psycho. But the accent just makes him sound like a burnout valley girl. It doesn't make <laughs> him sound cultured at all. I know. Which is such a weird choice. And it's also like clearly... Like we've now seen an, a, enough films in a row that 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 I realize that Nicolas Cage's idea of acting is just putting on an accent. Like it's now it's now happened in four consecutive movies. That He's changing his voice. That like it's just he just changes his accent and that's like a new character. Uh, the physicality changes a lot. the The way this character moves is not the same as the as high from raising arizona or um even uh ronnie from moonstruck like the when he's when he's doing the alphabet and he he's like a b c d e f g and he's like waving his arms around and like putting them on his hips like all sassy and like that's that only happens in this movie that's how you know that he's that he is our generation's greatest living actor is that he can (laughs) act the alphabet he can literally act the alphabet that's insane that he that he can do that and you're just like oh okay Like, but also the fact that he was in his therapist's office talking about how find, not finding this one file is like <laughs> ruining his life. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, that's such a weird thing about this movie that like for all the credit I want to give it for being like subversively brilliant, I think it's so strange that his obsession hinges on this this 
literary contract, the Der Spiegel file. But then that's also, so that's like the Spiegel file, but then that whole thing about like finding the perfect woman or whatever, because that's when it started losing me a little bit, because it's like, oh, he's crazy, but is he crazy because he just wants a girlfriend? Like, (laughs) what is his deal? What is his fucking deal? What's his deal with Alva? Yeah, well, there. Oh, God, it's, poor Alva. I know, poor dude. Alva. I, I, honest, I feel so bad for her in this movie. She, <laughs> I think she's the actual protagonist. Yeah. Of the story. Oh, totally. Like, and and it's funny He's that like Richard the Third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's just a whole like there's that whole middle part of the movie where they almost do away with like the the concept of him being a vampire for like twenty minutes in the middle, and it just focuses on him like going to her house. And then, and then, like him, like chasing her through the office down to the boiler room, right? Like, we're like, there's not really like the the pretense of him being a vampire almost entirely disappears, and and there's just a little like second act where it's basically just about like the relationship between uh, a secretary right. and her psychotic boss. Yeah, I guess yeah. the the vampire thing is actually like totally beside the point for right. that act. But again, it's like it's it's like uh, it's like Elisa was saying. It's like is it like like which which came first? Yeah, like what, you know what I mean. What, was, right. what were we supposed to be following? Because that's kind of what lost me a little bit. Was right. just like okay, like I thought I'm watching this movie about this guy that's just like he meets a girl that just likes to bite him on the neck, and all of a right. sudden he thinks he's a vampire. But then it takes this weird turn, and now he's just insane. And then now it's like oh no, he just wants to find love, and this and the therapist is like oh well, that's what he should have told me sooner. Like right. I have this patient, which I don't think you're allowed to do at all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a blatant violation of like patient doctor confidentiality. You're disbarred for that. <laughs> matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah, so it's. it's it's almost like you're watching like three short films and we're right. supposed to just follow some weird cohesive story around right. it. Right. While this character just deteriorates throughout. Yeah. But the story, yeah, the whole thing with Alva is really strange. I, it only loops back into the vampire thing because she has the gun with the blanks and he shoots yeah. himself in the mouth Which and then also, realizes to him that he's a vampire. But if you a, shot yourself in the mouth with blanks, you definitely still like fuck yourself up. Yeah, like, you like, can't like just, you're point blank in your mouth. Like you're not yeah. just suck on that. Yeah, it's not like yeah. nothing's gonna happen. Stuff still comes out of the gun. But again, like who how do we know that any of this is really happening? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the whole movie could be uh you know, the imaginings of a different Nicolas Cage who maybe speaks without an accent or a Jamaican accent, <laughs> which or, by the way, fact check from last time, it was not Spider-Man that Nicholas Cage was going to uh, put on a Jamaican accent for. It was Michelle Gondry's the green Hornet. And, um, which makes it better because Michelle Gondry telling Nicholas Cage that that was too over the top is like so, Michelle Gondry telling anyone anybody. that it's too over the top, which makes me realize that actually that's, that's kind of a coup on Nicolas Cage's part that he actually got Michelle yeah. Gondry to be like, that's too much. Like, no. don't do that. He outwhimsied <laughs> him. <laughs> Said it couldn't be done. But what, uh, wait, what were you saying? Oh, dreams, right? Yeah. I don't... Well, also, like, I guess with the apartment too. So like that final shot where it's like, we see how the apartment is. It just like his <laughs> couch coffin and right. stuff from how we were first introduced to his apartment which was like this nice, well, yuppie, yuppie apartment. So it's just kind of like, this is, it's kind of weird. And now it's like, oh, he probably is just insane. And that's how it's always been. Yeah. He just imagined himself one way. He's just, yeah. I love, I I mean, I love that the opening, because we don't start in his apartment. It's like a slow, like, cut by cut zoom in to the city at sunset, set to this like kind of, sensual piano music and it's it's i mean it's the same as like the club scenes where it just gives me i have a visceral reaction to the aesthetics of that where i just want to be in that place i want to be it in that like uh miami vice style like but yuppie new york excess yeah the the this the score the score of this movie might be the most tone deaf part about it yeah Yeah. it's just Cause it's like really ominous, like pseudo horror movie music. Right. But at points where 
I don't know what it's building up to, mm-hmm. you know, and then like the rubber bat on a string makes it so not scary after that, like after the musical right. build up uh, that you're the, just yeah. like the music is still taking it serious. Yeah. Which is again, like in contemporary reviews talking about this, like it was this excoriation of like the, like modern yuppies excess and like the depths of his soul. Like how can you contextualize it that way when it's so goofy? Yeah. Like endlessly goofy. Going back to his accent, like right. I was reading that apparently like the choice it was his to have the accent, but then it was also like I guess a character choice where it was more prominent when it was like a character he was trying to impress right. as Peter Lowe. Right. And then it wasn't as prominent when it was like somebody he doesn't care about. So it's like it's very strong when he's like in that meeting laughing with the guys, uh-huh. or when he's like trying to get a girl to come home with him. But when he's yelling at Alva, it's, it's like not. It's, it's barely like there. barely there. Yeah. So it was like this whole fake persona that he was putting on, only for us to find out that he's. It, this probably none of this is real. Yeah, that he's just having a constant psychotic break the entire yeah. like hour and a half that this film is running. <laughs> I mean, or possibly his entire life. Right. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> One of the weirdest things is when he plays when he blames his freak out on mescaline. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, "Oh sorry, you know, that mescaline, which is how he pronounces it, mescaline." mescaline. And she's like, "Oh yeah, I did that once in high school." That's the part I feel worst for Alva about for some reason, like her just try she you watch her struggle and kind of forgive him or just like be like okay it's gonna be over and she admits that about like she's like yeah even i got crazy sometimes like i don't which 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 almost gives credence to your uh, to your idea of it being like a commentary on like the on the new york yuppie thing because really a you can kind of view that idea of him constantly like threatening Alva and then like disingenuously apologizing to her. And then her kind of, because of her circumstances having no choice, but to forgive him and continue doing her job. Right. So I feel like it, it like there, there is, if you want to get this deep into a movie like this, which who knows if you want to, (laughs) you could Mm -hmm. argue that Mm -hmm. there's, there's no reason to, but like, it's almost, you know, like a commentary on, you know, this like obnoxious, like entitled yuppie right. and his like, you know, lower class, um, like Hispanic secretary yeah. who just, who just has to accept that he's psycho because she needs the job. I, yeah. They, yeah. they do make a, a big point of it that she, yeah, she travels via the train over the river. She doesn't live in Manhattan. Her family seemed like first or second, like generation immigrants and like they, and that her parents are like quit complaining. Like you have a job. Yeah, they were like getting mad at her for like not going into work after being attacked by her boss. Right. Because if it was like some like young white girl living with her roommates in Manhattan as a character, it wouldn't, she wouldn't put up with it. Right. Like it was a very specific choice to make her character who she was. And who was that actress? Because she really like plays that. I, I mean, it's another kind of weird tonal thing, but but she plays that part with so much dignity and right. like you know, for as like over the top as Nick Cage is, she's very understated. Mm-hmm. And it, which which makes his over the top in in their scenes together even more insane. More over the because top because she's she's playing it completely straight. Yeah, like if she were actually you know like oh, she, yeah. she's playing it like super realistically. Like mm-hmm. if she was actually in this position of getting like attacked by her by her boss like that's how you would act and he is not acting like someone who's actually attacking someone he's acting like a you know psycho like vampire (laughs) right and i i think that it is interesting that like were nicholas cage acting across from someone who was hammy too like his performance would seem hammy but the movie wouldn't seem as bizarre and kind of special i think i i relate to her to being like just she, she looks like somebody who is like this person is fucking insane and I can't do anything about it. Like even like the other, like the scene in the in the boardroom or whatever with all the other guys. Like they're kind of cartoonish too and just kind of like ha 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 yes money yes power and like he he doesn't seem as like insane. But when he's like with her, um, it's like it's upsetting. But then you can't be but not scary because he's so like goofy even when he's directly threatening her there's nothing really threatening about him yeah no (laughs) 
nothing at all. <laughs> like Except the teeth, maybe, because then all of a sudden those become a weapon. <laughs> yeah, he does kill that that woman. But when he's down in the in the like basement with Ava and like menacing her, even then I wasn't like. I, I don't know. I, I feel like she could just like push past him and get out, like peace out. He, but wait, so, so spoiler alert, does he act, do you think he actually raped her or do you think she just like knocked out and he just like, I, yeah, I think cause I was in reading, uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicholas Cage, the man behind captain Corelli. Um, <laughs> there, there was a review that said that he was like a rapist and I was like, really? And watching it again, I see that, but I, I don't think he did. I think she just fainted and he was like, goo and like ran away. Well, yeah. Cause he like does assault her. Yeah. But like, up. I was like, wait, he raped her. Like, I don't, I wow. think this, this might be, a, this might be a weird way to say this. And I don't know how to say this like delicately, but I think that he's actually too much of like a psychotic narcissist to even like worry about getting his rocks off at that point. Yeah, he doesn't see yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't think he's interested in the sexual aspect of it. Well, his sex no. sexual stuff is all tied up with that fantasy uh vampire lady too. Also with the bat cuz he talks about how like trying <laughs> to get rid of the bat like oh, turned yeah. him on. <laughs> so I mean just like <laughs> and then he goes through that like very elaborate and unnecessary sequence of events about he's like, "Well, I was aroused and then she left the room and then, you know, and then like it went away, but then the bat came and then I was fighting it and then it came back. Like he had to like clarify. Yeah. Like he, he had to clarify that it wasn't just because like he had just been trying to have sex a second ago. It's like, no, no, no. Like it, like the bat brought it back. So like it was the bat's fault. Yeah. The therapist is even like, I mean, you were just in bed and like, no, you don't understand. Oh, there's this line that he has at the end where he goes, oh, it, it was during the, it was during the, the last like, f- like fake sequence with the therapist, which I wrote down. Cause I think it's like one of the funniest lines that I've ever heard Nicolas Cage say is he goes, I, he's like, I did murder someone last night. I turned into a vampire. It's a long story. <laughs> and it's just like, like, you're just going to mention that you murder someone and you think you're a vampire, but then be like, but it's a long story. But then the love of his life all of a sudden is like totally cool with him being like, oh, I like raped my coworker. And then right. I like murdered this woman last night. Like totally chill. It's a long story, but like, well, I don't have to explain Look, you're anything busy. else. <laughs> And she's like, that's fine. It happens. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how would you guys classify this movie? Like either as like a video store person with a really like specific video store shelving system or just as a, a movie to a friend. If they're like, what's up with this? Well, this is something I was thinking about. Cause it's remember when we watched Peggy Sue got married and yeah. I was like, it's 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 a movie about time travel, but it's not a time travel movie. Right. Yeah. And I think that this is a clearly it's a movie about a vampire. I mean, mm. even if you put vampire in quotes. Yeah. But it's not a vampire movie. No. And I think that's what makes it so like interesting. And but it's is like it a and it's like you were saying to try to figure out exactly what yeah, what the trajectory what, what, yeah, exactly is yeah. because it it posits itself. I mean, it's in the fucking title of the movie right. and the score, like you said. Right, but it's not it's not a genre film no. in in the sense that it's a vampire or a horror movie. Yeah, no, completely. It's it's just and it's, but it's not a comedy either. I mean, it's and, funny, and, but it's not a comedy. And it's well, yeah. it's inept in some ways, but very like on top of it in other ways. Like it's not. You're not just watching like Plan Nine from Outer Space or something like they and they didn't. Oh, I watched the director's commentary for this, and it's because when you're watching this movie for the fourth time, I'm sure at some point <laughs> you have to. <laughs> the director and Nicolas Cage are just like they're busting up the whole time and enjoying. Like Nick Cage is straight up like I can't believe they let us do this, and so it, it that's like I I think that's it almost bugs me because a lot of people want to laugh at this movie as if like no they weren't in on the joke and they definitely were in on the joke and it doesn't make what the joke was any less like ridiculous or like 
you want to question like why was this joke told but like it's still it wasn't they're not so inept you know what i mean like they're i nick cage whether it's uh the you know a choice that is valid in anyone else's eyes like he wanted to be like a silent film actor in this movie and just be completely over the top with his body and uh i don't know i think that's cool well, and that kind of phys- the physical comedy comedy of this is just like it worked. Like for that over the topness, it it just works, especially for like not taking like you can't take this movie seriously no. like at all. And you can tell like nobody's really taking this seriously. Yeah, but that's like it's like intentionally not taking it seriously. So it's like you know there's you know there's a reason. Like he made these choices. Like it wasn't like oh I just saw the character this way and just went with right. it. It was like, I made the choice to have this accent, to be this persona, to be this person. And it's in the script too, and to an extent. Like, yeah. it's, he's not, he's not so, it's not like Peggy Sue got married where his thing feels like, like a parallel reading, like in a different universe of the same script. Like it feels detached from like, he's in a different movie. Like Nick Cage is in the same movie as every, you know, he, he, it, it does. It makes sense that this was his choice, but why was that choice even, um, you know, offered? But see, I think I think then you hit the nail on the head. I think that is the perennial question about any Nicolas Cage performance: is why did he make that <laughs> yeah, choice? We do keep coming back to it. Then a part of me wanted to read like the script, like the first draft of right. the script, and be just like, what led them to this final copy, to all of this, yeah. like to this movie? Like, and I want to know how it happened. And how much of Nicolas Cage's choices after reading the first or second draft of the script influenced the right. final draft of yeah. the script? Because like uh, uh, initially he was going to eat, he wasn't going to eat a pigeon. He was going to eat an egg, a pigeon egg, which like is still kind of gross and weird, but feels a little more grounded. And he, and Nick Cage is like, no, he eats pecans. Then he eats or pistachios. He eats pistachios. Then he eats a cockroach. Then he eats a pigeon. Then he eats a person. Like he goes up the food chain. So that whole sequence of him running after a pigeon and stuffing it into his shirt and then taking, and then that shot, that tracking shot of all the feathers all over his, uh, apartment. So that was not in the original no, draft that was of the him. script. Well, that and that's a thing that's in Dracula. I don't know how familiar any of you are with like the original story of Dracula, but like that is, uh, I can't remember the the crazy guy in the in the insane asylum. Oh yeah, but like he, but he, oh yeah, right. So there's there's a whole thing in Dracula where that guy talks about the idea of the vampire as sucking the lifeblood and how. Essentially, if you're higher up on the food chain, you have to work your way up from like the lowest organism up through the levels until you can finally feast on a human. So I think that that might have been influenced, like Nick Cage might have been influenced by that in the original vampire story to make the distinction of moving from the cockroach to the pigeon and then finally to the human. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that would make sense just with how the progression of everything Still, still very strange. Still trying to figure out what I was watching. <laughs> and I, the thing is, is I think, oh, Dave, you can tell us because you've seen it approximately <laughs> two more times than me, and I've spent about three six, more times more than times you. Six hours. So what? In this world. So what? Uh, does it become any clearer the the more times you watch it? No, I, I no, <laughs> nothing. Everything becomes blurrier. I, I think I had a more. Uh, a more like satisfied, stable idea of what this movie was after the first time I saw it. And, uh, like, like, yeah, it's the thing. It, 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 it's a heady brew. (laughs) This is a strange mix of things together that is self-assured in ways that, uh, it should not be. Um, that Nick Cage says, um, I'm very happy with that movie only because I shouldn't have done it and I did it anyway. You know, that character meant a lot to me. I sort of incorporated my father and mother into the role and wanted to take a chance with it. What does that mean? (laughs) Against everybody's wishes, I turned him into a maniac with plastic fangs. Okay, it wasn't a career move, but I'm glad I did it.
Yeah, it definitely wasn't a career move. But like, could you imagine if he hadn't had Moonstruck or or Raising Arizona or Peggy Sue under his belt, and this was like one of the first movies he did? Like his career would. I don't know. I think he he would have. I think his career would have taken a more low budget and maybe more interesting tra- trajectory after this point if like this was kind of his calling card and people were like, yes, we want more crazy. Well, because pretty much up until the early 2000s, and this goes back to us talking, Dave, on the last episode about how the very definite drop-off point is Family Man. Family Man. Um, So I I think that until Family Man, he did a really good job of balancing like big budget pictures with his own like weird, more independent like pet projects. Right. And this is really where it starts, Mm. you know? Um... But, and there, but kind of what I'm getting at too is that there's like the there are these different pressures that he's getting in his career to like there's these pressures trying to make him into like a leading man and uh, like a lot of times like the straight guy the and that kind of won out like when you think about Nick Cage movies now like on the whole that he does he is just he, he's someone with like very little affect to that like it's just like an action guy who lost some money or something and has to chase someone in a car like but the his move his stuff here is all affect like it's like 110 proof affect like and i i wonder what would happen if like at the start of his career, like this had been fed, there had been people being like, yes, more of that. Cause it sounds like a lot of his choices with that were like him being like, everyone else wants me to do something. I'm going to do this. Like, and it's like you said last time where, uh, it, it feels like he's rebelling. He's like a rebellious teen and he's like, he's like pushing the boundaries and being like, will everyone still let me be a movie star if I do this? Which is kind of fascinating too, because you think about well i think i think what's more fascinating than him having that impulse is that is that they still let him be yeah, a movie star that 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 that, yeah. that 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 kind of like approach to it actually worked in his favor yeah and like was it his fault or was it like their fault they i guess being hollywood like uh-huh. that they let him get away with that right but i'm just, i don't know i'm kind of glad they did but, oh, da- I mean, un- undoubtedly. Yeah. Like, I'm glad they did. This podcast probably wouldn't exist. If not. <laughs> but it is weird, though, how he just, I don't know, just, especially going from you, like, you guys watch, like, Moonstruck and Peggy Sue Got Married, like, his, his older stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, watching anything since, like, I mean, you have Con Air and, like, all right. these other ones. Even when he tries to play this, like, straight character or, like, the guy that saves the day, it's still just this weird, like... I don't know. It's, it's like just, it doesn't fit still. It's still mm. just a little bit left little of center. Bit, yeah. yeah. You know, like he can't, I think he's incapable either because he's like legitimately a psychotic individual <laughs> or, or because these are, or because he's made these choices. But I think he's actually incapable of like meeting any kind of film like on its own level. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Even now, like w- when the performances are maybe like way more boring, like, he, I think you're totally right. He makes it come to him. He makes, he try, he like dares the film to come to his level and the films meet him there in different ways or attempt to meet him in. And, uh, it's fascinating. Like all the movies that we've seen, like since Peggy Sue, he's, he's basically just said like, meet me here. They're all, and they're all better for it. Yes. You know, I mean, and not that Peggy Sue or raising Arizona or moonstruck wouldn't have been good without him. Right. But they are undoubtedly like as classic as they are. Yeah. They're because, iconic in a way. Because, because Nick Cage dared the movie to meet him at his level. Yeah. Same with wild at heart, which is coming up very soon. Like, which is such a perfect pairing of like, I mean, David Lynch being a, a director who, if somebody brings something weird to the table, he can be 100% for it and say, okay, that actually informs my vision. Um, or, or the Coens. But a movie like this, like a director, what else did this director do? Like, 
I actually have no idea. I didn't even look it up, but he, like, I'm kind of not really interested in knowing. When, exactly. Like, <laughs> well, it, it's it's like the least exciting thing about this. Oh, oh, big surprise! Also, um, Nick Cage that was upset that a bunch of ridiculous shit he did in different scenes got cut um, because he he thought that they informed the character even more. I think this is just going to be a running theme is yeah. that like Nicolas Cage does a bunch of crazy shit that like ends up on the floor and then he gets like mad that they didn't leave it in the movie. Yeah, because it's it, come up like four or five times. <laughs> and you're still early in his career. <laughs> yeah. The difference with this though is that there was a director's cut that was screened for critics and Pauline Kale, Pauline Kale said that, uh, it was actually like a better movie and that the editing studio fucked it up. That would make sense. Especially they cut it down to like a, a hour, 40 minute, hour, 30 minute movie. Yeah. So, but where is that director's cut? I just think there's not a demand for it. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that it doesn't exist. I think maybe just no one has bothered to yeah, it's go not through like, the trouble of like releasing it. But well, I'm sure if you off. contact this director, he might have that. Company. Yeah, I hope he does. Dave, maybe you could watch it a fifth time when the director's cut comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll see you there. The Tortures of the Damned. Oh my God. I wrote that down too. Did we both, did we both write that down? Yeah. That is, a, that is an incredible phrase. I don't even remember what the context was, it's, but he, he, it zooms out, uh, this aerial shot of the neon cross outside of that's the church. Right, that's right. That's right. And the right. bells are ringing. Yeah. Where he's like yelling at the people. Oh no. That, Oh no. That's the scene where he has the groceries and he drops them. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking of when he's, when, when the people are like running up to church in the morning and he like runs past them and he's like yelling at that. Like he, he's, he's oh, yeah. yelling at the guy going up the church steps and the guy's just like, get away yeah. from me. I'm a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's another one. Mimes play fighting outside of the. Oh my God. I, I also, I also wrote that down. <laughs> I love that so much. I know. And I don't know, like, does it, was it just there? Right. Or does it mean something? And that's not something that we can lay at Nick Cage's feet. Like, that's what I mean. Like the movie met him somewhere but did you guys also notice like they film it was almost just like they kept rehearsing the same scene because when he comes out of the building they're doing the same exact thing as they were doing when they went into the building oh like at night like yeah <laughs> like they're still doing that same scene and it's like a whole thing and i'm just like are they just repeating this like <laughs> part of something that i'm just not in on at all but just like i was just amazed that it was like at that exact moment we're just going to keep doing it this one way. And are they doing it for money or are they just chilling? Just, <laughs> I mean, how I, is, does that happen in New York? Are there just mime troops on the street in New York? Hey, it's New York. You love our city. You love our mimes. Hey, I'm miming yeah. here. <laughs> I'm miming over here. <laughs> or maybe just mime school. They really needed to practice. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I understand. You need 200 hours on the street miming before yeah. you can get your mime license. Listen, man, we got a peer review tomorrow. We got to... <laughs> How, how would you mime peer review? That would be, that'd be hard to get across without. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So something else that I noted, which, Dave, we've talked about this, is I think the most, the, the most exciting part for me of, of, of any Nicolas Cage movie are the moments that Nicolas Cage has by himself. Oh, like, yeah. And yeah. in past films, this is manifested as maybe the camera will linger an extra couple seconds right. or it'll pan over and it'll just kind of be him for like, you know, a shot or two. But in this movie, we get like probably half of his performance is just him in a room by himself. Yeah. yeah. And which makes it just such a fucking pleasure to watch. Yeah. Like it's when Nicolas Cage is acting by himself, You're it's so right. like, it's maybe one of the most transcendent like things you can watch on <laughs> celluloid. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he, he is like a jazz musician. He, it's like him just soloing and a, a jazz musician who consistently surprises you. Well, okay, other question. So the scene, like the very end when we realized that Jessica Biel was not like always around, but they still cut to her and she's got this look on her face like, oh no, he's not crazy. I have, I have been like haunting him. Oh yeah. But it's like a weird, like, I don't know, like a smirk. 
And then it's gone. Then we go back to, oh, no, he's just insane and blabbering to himself on a street Was corner. Was she a vampire? Did she turn him crazy? Did she? Like, I don't know. I think they, like, left that vague on purpose. But then at the same time, it was like, now I'm just confused again because I right. don't know what I'm watching. Right. Because exactly. <laughs> you were confused and then they cleared it up. But then they made it confusing again. Right. Yeah. To no real uh, purpose. Like, it doesn't <laughs> well, strengthen the, the movie. Like, if they wanted to just leave it confusing and ambiguous, then why did they... They, they could have just not had that part in there at all. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And somebody just felt clever with that. <laughs> Look what I can do. Switch it like this. Switch it back around. Unless, you know, for the studio edit, they were just like... Oh, yeah. Who oh, knows? Yeah. I'm going to throw this fourth act. in. Oh, yeah. man. I really want to see this director's cut now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robert Bierman, you? if you if you are listening to this podcast, please please release this director's cut. Uh, Dave and I will be on the forefront of uh, of reviewing it. The world wants it. The world needs it. I feel like this, this is something is that we need to see. It's ready to be reevaluated. Reevaluated. <laughs> revalued. Revalued. Reevaluated. Yes. Reevaluated. <laughs> It's ready to be re-devaluated. Re <laughs> uh, same with screenwriter Joseph Minion. Yeah, what, what, what has he done? I don't know. Uh, let's find out. Oh, man. Joseph Minion. This is like, are, are we going to find out that he wrote, like, when we, when we found out that, uh, that John Patrick Shanley wrote We're Back, a dinosaur story? <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote After Hours. Uh, the Scorsese film? Yeah. Whoa. What? He wrote a movie called Airport 2012, which is coming out in 2014. Which is coming out in 2014? So it already oh, came out. Oh, yeah, it's 2016. <laughs> what year do you think it is, Dave? I'm a vampire. <laughs> Can't wait to reelect Obama for a second term. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. He wrote a movie called Daddy's Boys from 1988. So, so basically, he wrote Vampire's Kiss and then he wrote After Hours, is what you're saying. After Hours first. Then oh, oh, that's Kiss. right, yeah. So he wrote After Hours, then he wrote Vampire's Kiss and ended his career. And ended his career in this, the year of our Lord, 2012. 2012. <laughs> 2014, actually. Oh, that shop that he buys the teeth in. What was that cool shop? There's like an older Asian dude in a, a pentagram shirt. But it also made it seem like they always are selling these teeth. Like this is their <laughs> yeah. hot ticket item. And this is like the only place you're going to get these awesome vampires. I mean, he multiple like, price levels of teeth. Yeah. He pitched the hell out of those teeth. Like oh, he, yeah. totally. he knew he has definitely sold people on vampires teeth like many times before <laughs> he did. Like he had a whole spiel. It was like the dad in Moonstruck talking about copper piping. <laughs> After this movie came out, Nick Cage did an interview with uh, Robert Crane and Playboy. And uh, he said, oh, it says, he was very flip when asked about his love life. He said, I don't know anything about Amore. I think I do have romantic tendency in my life. I do like women. I'm totally mystified by women. If I were to become a woman for a day, the first thing I would do is masturbate. Cupid came around once or twice last year, but I didn't exactly get stung. You know what I mean? <laughs> When asked what he would say to a woman if he could not perform sexually with her, he announced, I don't have that problem. Maybe I'd look her in the eye and say, I dig affection, baby, but not while I'm driving. <laughs> Gotta keep it safe. <laughs> <laughs> while, he, while he had a quick response to the three signs that a woman was interested in him, when they pop their gum, when they arch their back, and when they shout my name and applaud... <laughs> He appeared to throne when he was asked what Cher was like in bed, stammering, uh, oh, wow, um, Cherylin. Well, there's, I mean, are you talking about the visual image? I'm sure she's great. And on a more serious but still bizarre note, he revealed that he had considered a nose job because he has breathing problems, but decided against it. I like the fact that I have a nose problem, he claimed. I know it bothers some of my friends. I've recently investigated the possibility of getting it fixed. Some girl told me the other day, I'm a big fan of you, uh, but if you'd like a piece of advice, keep your mouth shut. Your mouth is always open. I said, it's because I can't breathe. I have to breathe through my mouth. 
I've grown fond of my nose problem, my sniffle. I find it a youthful thing. I don't like it when people say smile or cheer up. It's a real cheap line. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling real grateful for everything. It's a solid time in my life. When people say I look sad, they're wrong. It's like when someone like defends against something that no one accused them of. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, that, that's like his entire too much. Yeah, it's just like what, it's, it's just the answer was like like apropos of nothing. It's just like why why that that's not what he asked you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like that he's had an internal conversation about his nose problem and decided that he likes it because it keeps him youthful. Which the, how does that like he doesn't explain how it keeps him youthful. The sniffles keep him youthful, and uh, and he's not sad. He's happy. <laughs> That's where that line of thought goes. I mean, he's literally a mouth breather. He is. I mean, that he does keep his mouth open in a lot of films. Oh my gosh! Well, he also had the ha- the hair. His yeah, hair in this yeah. movie like bothered me so much to a certain point because I wasn't quite sure what the haircut was because it it felt like it kept changing the crazier he got. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing that has shown up repeatedly. It's just hair. I mean, Nicolas Cage has the craziest hair of any of of any actor i forgot how fucking insane it is it's insane in every movie and it's in every yeah yeah, that's the thing it's in every single movie it just sticks out everywhere and this yeah i know what you it's so frustrating you want to like like comb it back for him or something you want to like fix it it's just i don't know at one point i was like does he have a bowl cut like what is happening (laughs) well it's weird because it's the kind of haircut that only looks good if it's slicked back right it's very rarely slicked back yeah so So it just kind of like pops out to the side and like it's really like feathered as it like you know it's it's just so weird I, i i i don't know why no one was like like I mean they have makeup and hair departments on sets. Somebody should have been like Nick, hold on, we got to do something about this. <laughs> this is so consistent though that I think we are seeing a trend of hair and makeup people just throwing up their hands. Like I think his hair is so unruly and bizarre that they're just like, look, you got to work this into the character because like I, I can't, can't fi- we can't fix it. I can't be responsible for this. <laughs> it's unfixable. Yeah. So his hair in a way is like a direct extension of his acting. Where, yes. where it's like you can't rein it in. No. You have to just build the character around, around the, hair. the hair. Yeah. But I don't know. But it just seemed, again, seems just like a weird, like one of those random, maybe unintentional, intentional things that happened. Right. Where, no, like it just, as he, it's the more he thought he was a vampire, the crazier his hair got and just as, or more unruly. And then when he goes full blown, oh no, he's just insane. Then it's just like, it's just out of control. But then the last scene with therapist, it's all slicked back again. And he's just like this perfectly quaffed businessman. And you're just kind of like, wait, I'm sorry. Right. (laughs) It's, it's a necessary part of the character. Okay. He calls the therapist at home and she has like a naked hunk hanging out. He's like grubbing her back. And she she's in like a some like a silken robe and is like oh not sorry I'm like this is my me time, which which again though is the ther does the therapist exist? Does she exist because if not exist? then that he... is in Nicholas Cage's that's mind. that's how people spend their time while he's just alone trying Apparently. to find the perfect woman right exactly like it is like you call your doctor and and yeah they're just having some hedonistic uh, thing this, instead of helping you right yeah of course that's where your mind goes when you're. Peter Lowe. So before we sign off, uh, Elisa, can I ask you, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage performance and why? Great question. Oh my gosh. Let's see. Well, for the longest time, I really loved just Con Air was just like my all time favorite, especially out of Nicolas Cage movies. But a couple years ago, I saw Drive Angry and thoroughly enjoyed it. I've never seen that one. Me either. I still have yet. Well, we're going to get to it. We're gonna You'll get, get to, to it. it. You'll I'm, get to it. It's a, it's a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to start driving angrier? Uh, probably. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was Am I going to be Bangkok dangerous? <laughs> oh, man. Different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, but it was just like random too because my mom recommended it to me. Oh, that's So awesome. it was just like... Oh wow! Okay, like she really enjoys it. And then after sitting through it, I was like, 
I can't believe my mother just recommended this movie to me. You think she like caught it on like TBS or something and was just like, Oh, even better. She caught it on some like HBO or whatever and like had it recorded. It was like saved on their DVR. So I was just like, what should I watch? And she straight up was drive angry. Watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks mom. (laughs) So yes, that's been my favorite since then. Looking forward to it. We should have you back on the show for it. Oh my yeah. god! I, yeah, no, we should have your mom back on the show. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> we'll have to call her so she can talk about it. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening. This has been Heat Seeking Panther. I'm I'm your host, Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Elisa, for being here. We uh, we really appreciate it. Oh yeah, thanks. Guys. Um, and yeah, um, I'm a vampire. Well, 11, technically. (laughs) 10 episodes. 11 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. It doesn't feel like we've done that much. No, it, uh, we, we are chipping away at the boulder, my friend. I mean, we still have like 25 years to go, but yeah. I feel it's like, a lot. yeah, it's <laughs> definitely a lot. Well, we were having this conversation toward the beginning, like the first or second episode we did where it's like, once we catch up, then do we meet up like once a year right. when Nick Cage releases a new movie to like talk about it? Or like, Probably. how do we, yeah. how do we address that situation? But then I feel like there's just movies randomly popping up on Netflix that he's in that like, I've, I've like never that, heard of. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Called like stolen or like, yeah. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> is that just taken? But, but with Nicholas <laughs> oh, Cage yeah, instead of like, Liam yeah, Neeson, which gets killed or which, gets taken or something gets or stolen. stolen. Yeah. It's stolen. Get, stolen. It, get it straight. <laughs> Does Nick Cage have a very different, very special set of skills? <laughs> I just wish that it's like shot for shot taken, but with Nicholas Cage. Nicholas, and oh like my God, like I would watch the hell out of that movie. That would be <laughs> such a good film. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, what do you see in this character? Now dial it up.